Today's podcast features Parker McCullum as our guest. And of course, Parker has a great story. We dive into the beginning to how he got to the stage at Rodeo Houston, selling out Red Rocks. We talk about his new album and his producer, John Randall, all the people he writes with, some up and coming stuff. And who was his babysitter when he was young? Stick around. You don't want to miss it. Go. Parker, I'm so excited to have you. And I have a story to share with you. You played Matagorda County Fair. I don't even know if you remember this. It was about 2019. Uh, Tracy Bird opened for you. But you had some profound, I love how you have your shows and you kind of chit chat with the audience a little bit, but you shared a story about coming to our area just a few years before that show and how there was like maybe a handful of people at the venue. And you shared the story, how you played your heart out, you played your full set, and then look at you a couple of years later, selling out our whole rodeo arena and then all the things that you've done since then. And let's talk about how you went from our little rodeo arena to Rodeo Houston, being from Conroe. That's a huge thing. Yes, ma'am. It is a big thing. It's, uh, you know, I, I always try to say this without sounding like I'm bragging, but it, I think it's so impressive for someone like me where I was when I was 19 years old to have had any kind of success. I mean, I felt like I was the least promising prospect when I was, you know, just graduating high school, kind of first getting off onto my own and figured out what I wanted to do in the world, which I knew what I wanted to do. I wasn't entirely sure of what I was capable of doing or what I would actually go on to do. Um, pretty naive at that age and, and still kind of that way, even so now. But um, that's a, I, I do remember playing that fair. Um, uh, and I remember, I think the one that, that I was referring to, I could have been wrong, um, but there were in like Port Arthur, somewhere around there during Mardi Gras, we played, um, golly, I can't remember the, the actual name of it, but, we, but there was, when I say there was nobody there, I mean, I think we played for our bass player's cousin and, you know, 15,000 person area. Uh, I don't even know what you would call it. I guess it was an arena. Um, but I just, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think it's, you know, a lot of people have had success in the music business and a lot of people haven't. And the fact that I'm one of the ones that have is still to this day, mind blowing to me. What are some of the moments like from going from those smaller venues and then on the stage at Rodeo Houston and then selling out Red Rocks and all this stuff that you're doing, the big stadium tours that you have going on. When was that moment that like just turned everything around where all of a sudden things just started grow, growing and blowing up? You know, to be 100% honest, Miss Helen, I really don't know. Um, you know, I've never felt any different. I've never woken up any day and thought, oh, now we're doing it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, I just, when I started, I told my dad, uh, when I really started hustling and grinding, you know, with uh, goals written down and, and legitimate direction, uh, you know, I, I just... I, I promised myself, I promised my dad, I was like, look, I'm going to do this come hell or high water, whether there's five people out there or 50,000 people for as long as I can. This is what I do. This is who I am. And uh, and I bought into that. And I, I that was a full conviction when I was 20, 21, 22 years old. I was thinking that and I was telling that to myself every night uh, when we were playing for nobody. And uh, there's no, there's never been a, uh, 
wow, I made it moment. I've never felt that. Um, you know, I think standing on stage, or right before we, we went on stage at the Houston Rodeo, our first year playing it, I, I kind of looked out there and I was like, you know, this is crazy. Um, I almost get tears in my eyes talking about it right now because I wanted it so bad. But it's a uh, – I don't I just never – I never felt any different. I never had an aha moment or or anything like that. I just, you know, always I still say it to this day. I say head down, you know, grind up and, you know, we'll uh still trying to make it. So, um I think, you know, never losing that that mindset as soon as you get comfortable and I've been guilty of it. You know, I've kind of I felt like I got kind of comfortable on my last album and and uh I wasn't as focused and as as detailed as I had been in the past. And, and, uh, you know, it was kind of a good little wake up call and I've, I've really gotten back to kind of thinking that way again, but I don't know, there was, you know, I'm just grateful to still do it every night. I get to go up there and do it. Well, just so you know, you had a lot of cheerleaders, like all of us were so excited when, because we being from the Houston area, knowing what, what that stage means and that arena, like seriously, a lot of cheerleaders, cheerleaders and I have a good friend of mine who actually went to school with your parents in Conroe and she was just like crazy like everybody was trying to get their tickets to go see Parker because we were so proud of you and then the horse moment that had to be like huge for you riding the horse like your hero George Strait yeah that that was that was cool yes ma'am it was uh you know I'd kind of wondered you know about doing it and I guess not everybody does it um uh you know and and I've I spent a lot of days on on a horse when I was a kid growing up and a lot, a lot of days and, and, uh, you know, just very comfortable, you know, always have been, which just raised that away. And that was, that was the first time in my life I'd ever really been nervous on a horse, even the day, you know, just during the day, they kind of, you know, they, they, you can't bring your horse or, or anything like that up there. You gotta, you gotta ride one of their show horses and, you know, that's used to all the smoke and the lights and everything, which makes sense. But, mm-hmm. you know, they let you kind of, you know, they give you about 20, 30 minutes on him, you know, during the day after sound check to just to kind of, you know, there's cables across the rodeo arena for the stage. I don't need to run over them. So you kind of get your boundaries where you can go, and where you can't. And thank God they, you know, that they give you that because, I mean, that's the most nerve wracking. I've been throwing off horses. I've been throwing off all kinds of stuff, but never in front of 72,000 people, you know, in NRG Stadium. So I was, that was pretty special. That was, that was probably, I would probably never be more nervous than that on a horse for the rest of my life we were so proud for you so you have uh your current album is out and john randall you work closely with him and he's your producer tell me about your relationship with john jr's the man i mean you know easily one of the most talented human beings in nashville tennessee any day of the week um he just came down here to texas took him uh and the warren brothers came down with him out to our ranch west of here and and uh we hold up there for three days and writing songs and um, he's just, I don't know. I can't say enough about him. He's got a way, you know, he's a Texas boy. So he kind of gets, you know, when I came to town, Randy Rogers was the one who kind of pushed me to go to Nashville and sign a record deal and, and told me that's what I needed to do. And that's why I did it. Um, And, and just, I thank him every day for putting me in contact with John Randall because I don't think anybody else would have been able to, appreciate what I, you know, the one thing that I do well, which is write the kind of songs that I write. And John really embraced that and leaned into it. He didn't try to change anything. He didn't try to get me to, you know, put 
snap tracks over it or rap or anything like that. You know, he just, he's a great, he's a phenomenal singer, phenomenal guitar player, phenomenal songwriter. And, and I think he, he was just the perfect fit to, for me from going from Texas to Nashville and, and kind of staying real and staying raw and, and still doing my thing just on a bigger scale. And, um, you know, I was, that, this, I've cut two full albums on universal records with John and, and uh, we're, I'm going back in the studio in, in about a month. Um, I've got about 20 songs I've written that I want to cut for this next album. And I was kind of sitting there. I thought about, you know, calling Tony Brown, who's produced a bunch of straight records, played with Elvis, produced huge records. Um, you know, thought about, um, you know, Frank Liddell, you know, who lives in Houston. Thought about calling him as a producer. And, and the more I thought about it, I just I couldn't imagine not doing one more record with john randall i just you know um, uh, i think we we've done so much good stuff but there's there's something we haven't tapped into yet that him and i are supposed to tap into i truly feel that and believe that and i think i think this next record will be that that's exciting because i'm i'm the songwriter person like when i get new music in i gotta see who wrote it and you have people like brett james and of course randy and wade and Lori mckenna i mean like really heavy songwriters and i i would just love to be a fly on the wall during some of those songwriting sessions yeah i just had i mean i, I that's i had to go through the trenches in nashville of writing i had never co-written before with anybody but my brother and uh and so when I got to Nashville and, and Randy had pushed me to go up there and just write songs just to kind of get a different perspective and learn some things I was writing with, you know, some pretty goofy in some pretty goofy rooms, you know, writing goofy songs. And that's just, I just never been, I don't have, I don't have any problem with people doing it. just not for me. I don't, I don't enjoy it. And, and it doesn't do anything for me. Um, but I, I, I really earned, I feel like, you know, the, the opportunities to ride with Lord McKenna and Liz Rose and Hillary Lindsay and Tony Lane and Brett James and all these hall of famers. And I mean, last week, uh, the love junkies, that's what Hillary Lindsay and Liz Rose and Lord McKenna call themselves. They all three flew down to Texas and stayed at my house. My wife went to Oklahoma to see her parents. And it was me and the love junkies at my house for three days, two days. And we just sat in my living room. I think we left to eat lunch and left to eat dinner. And other than that, we sat in my living room, and they just sit there and Lori's the best at it. You know, she's, she's like, she was one of the first people in Nashville that would allow me to just basically just freestyle over a melody and just sing and rhyme and rhyme and rhyme and just sing just random, random until something cool comes out. And then, all right, let's chase that. Uh, we wrote this song called Big Old Empty House. And I was just riffing on this melody that I had for a little while. And all of a sudden I sang, this big old empty house is eating me alive. And she was like, bam. And we're sitting in my big old house. My wife's gone. It's empty. It just, it just kind of wrote itself. And, um, you know, it took a long time. I'm serious when I say, I feel like I really earned the hard way to all of those opportunities to write with true hall of famers. I mean, you know, they've written some of my favorite country songs ever. And now they mm -hmm. fly down to Texas to come, you know, listen to me BS over a melody that's probably not that good for 48 hours. So very grateful for that. That's amazing. 
Have you ever wondered how artists like Trudy Oak Revival, Red Clay Strays, and Aaron Watson maintain the high quality and high demand for their merchandise? CH Lone Star Promo is the answer. Created in Texas to serve Texas artists, and they're currently offering 15% off on all merch orders from musicians. Visit chlonestarpromo.com to get started and tell them Texas Toast sent you. I was reading the other day that it takes at least $1 million to break an artist. That's a ton of change, and it can feel overwhelming. But with social media leveling the playing field, you just need an effective strategy to release your music. Check out Release Rocket to ensure your single does not die after release day. You've already put time, effort, and tons of money into writing and recording your album. Let the guys at Release Rocket keep your new release alive. Well, I want to talk about just a a few of the tracks on the album. One that's very important that gets to all of us moms, Things I Never Told You. Yes, that's uh, the only song on the record I didn't write, um, and uh, but that was it was one that I felt like I could have written. It was the same. I've only cut two songs um, on Universal Records that I didn't write. It was like a cowboy and things I never told you. Both of them, I'm very picky with that. Um, I'll just I just won't cut an outside song if I don't have one that that doesn't hit me the way that song does. And um, my buddy Taylor Phillips uh, is a great songwriter out of Nashville. He texted me one day and he said, man, I'd love to have a cut on this record. He's like, do you want to write together? And I, and I was I was basically done with the record. I had one more day. I was going to go in and cut a couple more. I was going to cut Burn It Down and uh, maybe Too Tight this time. I think I was cutting two songs left. And uh, he texted me and I said, man, I'm, I'm kind of done. I said, but I don't have an outside song cut on this record. I was like, but I'm you know, a great song's a great song. Like, do you got anything that, that nobody's cut that you're just kind of sitting in the vault? And uh, he sent me some song that was real goofy. I mean, real pop country, just very goofy. And uh, and I just, I, I texted him back. I said, send me, that's my agent calling me. He should know I have dream calls. Um, and I, I texted him back and I said, send me a real song. I said, send me a country song. And he sent back things I never told you. He'd written it with Monty Criswell and Lynn Hutton. And uh, I listened to it one time. And I was like, the line that got me was, um, uh, I had a Johnny Cash LP, uh, or I had a Playboy stashed in a Johnny Cash LP sleeve in my room. I was like, bam, I'm absolutely cutting that song. So it's, uh, it's kind of funny. People always say, you know, their favorite song of mine is Like a Cowboy, which is the only one that I didn't write, which always kind of makes me laugh. But um, that is just great songs are great songs. And I'll always cut great songs if someone sends me one. Well, you have some great songs on the album. Of course, we we loved Handle on You. That's such a big hit for you. And I'm just going to mention quick, all like since I live on the Gulf Coast, when the hurricane names come out, like I always want to see who who's friend, who my friends got named after hurricanes for this year. <laughs> I'm still waiting on a Hurricane Helen. That's another good one. Speed makes reference to Conroe, but burn it down is big on that. And that's your tour name for this year. It is. That was, that's been a big song for us. It's been, I think it's been our biggest streaming highest, you know, I don't pay attention to that, but they tell me every now and then how well it's doing. And, and I guess that's, that one's doing better than a lot of the other ones we've had for us. So, um, you know, and you can tell, I, I never look at that stuff because I can tell I'm, I've got to go out there and sing it for people every night. I can tell whether, you know, it's connecting and it's a hit or not. You can tell instantly. Um, and every night that song is, I look forward to playing it because I know it's it's going to be one of the biggest moments of the show. Um, and that was another song. I wrote that with the Love Junkies. Um, that's when we were at my house in Nashville. And uh, that song kind of came out of nowhere. I had not, I just... 
it's probably a testament to how how good they are. You know, they they get my brain working like that. I feel like the pressure I've got to got to bring something to the table that's great because they're great. So shout out to the Love Junkies for that. But um, I don't know. Maybe maybe that song goes number one. I think it's like top ten or top twelve, something like that, right now on Billboard. So be nice if it went. We love four in a row. Mm-hmm. Well, the tour is going good. Everything is going good. I'm excited that you'll have new music for us. And I know we're going to kind of start wrapping this up. But there's one thing that I found was so cool. And a lot of us get this from the in this area. So Kendra Scott was your babysitter. She was. I know her pretty well. I hadn't seen her since then. Uh, she came to our show. Last, we played the Moody Center last year, her 2022. And she came out. Um, with her husband and I think, I think some of their friends and she brought, you know, Howie a bunch of jewelry and she obviously, she knows I like the gold chain. So she brought me some, some really cool gold chains, one that I wear all the time. Um, but her, you know, she's, uh, she was from spring, I think. And, uh, I think her and my uncle may had a little thing back in the day or something. And, and, uh, you know, I think they were probably in their twenties then. So, um, you know, I think when our, my parents would go out and they, and, you know, they'd have Kendra kind of come over to the house and, and babysit. So it's kind of funny. I was, I always say that to people and I think they just, you know, think I'm full of it. And I never, I'm like, well, you know, I don't need to elaborate or anything. And then time will go by and people are like, did you say Kendra Scott was your babysitter? I'm like, so cool. she absolutely was. And now she is, she's massive, just killing it. So I love to see all that success for her. Yes. I, I love stories like that. That's how our kind of small town Texas stuff kind of intertwines itself. So to wrap things up, I have one last question for you. If you were a cocktail, what would you be, Parker McCollum? If I was a cocktail? What would you be? Uh, I'd probably be like a dirty martini or something. A, little, a couple of them go a long way. Three makes you sloppy. So I'll, I, I would probably say that. I don't, I don't really drink, though. I'm not a... Um, I, every now and then I'll kind of go through a phase where I'm like, yeah, it's all right. You know, I'll drink a little bit, but it's not really my thing. I think it's bad for business. Good for mm-hmm, some right, bad for business. <laughs> true story. Well, I can't tell you how thrilled we are to have you on the podcast and following you along from the beginning to where you are now, looking forward to what's in the future. So thank you so much, Parker, for joining us. Thanks, Miss Helen. Appreciate y'all.